to A Texan's View of the World with your host, Jeb Bashaw. Good afternoon, friends. This is Jeb Bashaw, and this is my podcast, A Texan's View of the World. First, a thanks to all of our listeners and for sharing it with your friends. As you know, we're available on iTunes, Google, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Today, I want to talk about something near and dear to my heart, saltwater fishing. As you know, Texas enjoys 350 miles of coastline on the Gulf of Mexico. And as an aside, I hate it when people say the Gulf of Mexico. Gulf is a four-letter word for a game so aggravating it ruins a good walk. Gulf is the term used for a body of water in a deep inlet of the sea almost surrounded entirely by land with a small mouth, and here in Texas, we are on the Gulf of Mexico. But I digress. I've been saltwater fishing since before I can remember. My first experiences were going to the beach, as we called it. And for us, the beach was one of two places, either Galveston Island or Crystal Beach near Point Bolivar. For me, growing up in southeast Texas, going to Gilchrist was always the most fun. My aunt and uncle were named Podgy and Mabel. Podgy and Mabel were really my mom's first cousins, but we always considered them our aunt and uncle. Podgy and Mabel had a wonderful home on the intercoastal waterway on what was then called the Rollover Yacht Club near Gilchrist, Texas. Don't get too excited. The Yacht Club was Newport, Rhode Island. It was a place where the folks from Beaumont and east of Houston went to spend time with their families. In fact, I don't ever remember there being a club, maybe just a fuel depot with some snacks. Rollover Pass earned its name from the practice of smugglers who, from the days of the Spanish rule, through prohibition, avoided the Galveston Customs Station by rolling barrels of whiskey and rum over the narrowest part of the Bolivar Peninsula. It was a fun place to smell the salt air and head out on my uncle's yacht. Mabel would fill it with wonderful food, plenty of cold drinks, and off we would head down the intercoastal waterway and out into the Galveston Bay. We had the most fun. I still remember being there with my mom and dad and the wind blowing through our hair as Podgy opened up the throttles on those twin diesel engines. The house wasn't anything special, but it was special to me and my family. Not like the big homes you see today down in Galveston Bay and, and Pirate's Cove. It was just a beautiful white home with green shutters. The walkthrough room, as we called it, was where we slept in twin beds. Our bed faced the intercoastal waterway, and we would watch the barges moving up and down the intercoastal all day and night. My mom would buy us flashlights that had a green and light lens, so we felt like we were ancient mariners signaling the ships as they came in and out of port. And one of the things I always remember were the mosquitoes. Rollover Pass is one of the lowest parts of Texas, and as the tides moved across the marsh, so did all kinds of bugs and critters. This low-laying area was a great place and breeding ground for mosquitoes. If you're not familiar with the old off ad, think of putting your arm into a tent full of mosquitoes. You couldn't even breathe or they'd go in your mouth and nose, but that's what living on the Texas coast is all about. Mom would get us in the car, and we had two ways to go. We could go through Winnie and Stoll off of I-10, or we could go through Galveston and take the Bolivar Ferry. Going through Galveston was a little longer, but definitely more scenic and more fun. Mom would take 61st Street to the seawall, and we would follow the seawall all the way to the Bolivar Ferry entrance on the east end of Galveston Island. There, like so many other adventurers, we would drive our car onto the ferry. I always found that so fascinating. Like Hank Johnson, 
I could never figure out why the ferry wouldn't tip over. By the way, that's an inside joke for my conservative friends. Google Hank Johnson slash Guam or on YouTube and you'll see what I'm talking about. But ferry loading really is quite spectacular to watch. After loading and the boat made way, we would race up the stairs to see the beautiful Galveston Bay. There was all kinds of things going on. Boats, other ferries, and of course the omnipresent dolphins that followed the ferry. After our 20-minute crossing to what seemed like the New World, we would see the two beautiful homes and the lighthouse that welcomed us to Point Bolivar. As we disembarked in our car, we could begin getting excited as we headed down Texas State Highway 87 to Gilchrist. We knew we were just minutes away from an excellent adventure of cane pole fishing, crabbing, and just having good fun. The cutoff in the rollover yacht club was at Claude's Western Auto. Go to Claude's Western Auto, go left, and the next stop was Paradise. As we pulled into the bay house, we were ready for fun. Podgy and Mabel were always gracious hosts. Whatever Mabel made to eat tasted good. She'd make celery with pimento cheese or iced tea for us for lunch, and her sandwiches and other food were a delight. She made fresh brownies, and Mabel always had fresh boiled shrimp, and we could eat those until our stomachs hurt. Podgy was her wingman and made sure the trains ran on time so we could get on their magnificent boat, the Gypsy, and head out for fun. So that was my introduction of saltwater living over 50 years ago. My cousins, Buck, Bo, and Scott, were very helpful. They put up with my brother and I and took us swimming in the bay. Needless to say, there was always a jellyfish nearby, and they helped us put on tenderizer or cold water or whatever we had to try and take the sting away. I've always enjoyed the bay over freshwater lakes, probably because I've always loved the smell. There's something refreshing about the ocean. To me, the smells are everything from the salt air to that watermelon smell you get when speckled trout are feeding to the cry of the seagulls overhead. Even the smell of dead fish on the beach brings a certain acuteness to the fact that the sea is a living, breathing ecosystem. The waves coming in and out all day and night, driven by the lunar cycle, the warming or cooling of the water, and of course the depth. This is what I really want to talk about, saltwater fishing in Texas. I became a saltwater fisherman in about 1998, a serious saltwater fisherman. Didn't say I was good, but I got serious about it. And I was introduced by a former boss to perhaps one of the finest fishermen in the world, and clearly a master of what we call the Texas Middle Coast. His name is Jay Watkins. Jay has been fishing in saltwater for over 50 years. The reason Jay is so good at fishing is because he's the consummate student. His dad was an educator and football coach, and Jay learned at his hip what it meant to be an outdoorsman. Jay is also one of the finest teachers of fishing I've ever met. There's an old saying that those who can do and those who can't teach. I can assure you this does not apply to Jay. Not only is he a great fisherman and a teacher, but a great dad, and his two sons, like apples, haven't fallen far from the tree. His two young men, Ryan and Jay Jr., are near their dad in ability. Interestingly, one even went to school on basically a fishing scholarship, and one ended up in saltwater, and the other ended up in freshwater. But those of you that know me know I have a million Jay Watkins stories. We've fished together for over 20 years. I've outlasted most of his wives, and he is one of the nicest people I know. When I started fishing with Jay, my kids were young. Jay and I discussed the importance of being with your kids, and so they began to fish with me in Rockport, Texas. 
Now, Rockport's a small town north of Corpus Christi, which, as we always say, is a drinking town with a fishing problem. Sadly, Rockport was almost knocked out by the Hurricane Harvey, but the great people of Rockport, like all Texans, are resilient, and the town is on the mend. So as my kids continue to grow older, they continue to fish with me. Now let me tell you about saltwater fishing. There are two types of fishermen, those that throw what we call plastic or those that fish with live bait. Jay Watkins taught me and my kids to throw plastic, and that's all we've ever done. Bait fishing is more like catching. It's not as much of a challenge, and to me, not nearly as much fun. There's another distinction you should know about South Texas fishermen. There are drifters and waders. As our coon-ass friends to the east say, those damn Texans are so funny, too much money and not enough sense. First thing they do is spend $100,000 on a boat, engine, and trailer, and then they can't jump out of it fast enough. Well, that's what Jay does, as do I and my kids and my wife. We love to wade fish. It's the closest thing to a religious experience outside of a church you'll ever find. You literally get in the water, and depending on the time of year, with either waders, shorts, or pants, and you go wade fishing. Just for the record, drifting is fine, too. It's usually done in deeper water or with more what I would call seasoned anglers who can't walk as much anymore who don't feel comfortable getting in and out of the boats. But wade fishing, it's a religious experience. There's nothing more peaceful than standing in 30 inches of water, shuffling your feet, and casting your bait caster. A bait caster is different from a spinning rod. It doesn't have that big piece that flips over to release the line. On a bait caster, your thumb is your governor, and if you have it set just right, you can throw that plastic with a lead jig about a country mile. So why do you shuffle your feet? Well, that's simple. You're not the only person in the water. It's like knocking on a neighbor's door. You wouldn't just walk into their house. You'd knock first. Well, if you're going to wade fish, knock on the door and let the locals know you're there, especially the stingrays. They don't like unannounced visitors, and they will let you know it by putting a barb in your ankle or leg. So there you are in the water with your wife, family, loved ones, or your friends, and you form up in a line. Each of you is casting straight ahead and preferably downwind. This is what makes plastics fishing or trout fishing so exciting. If there are four of you fishing and throwing all in the same direction, how are you going to make your, quote, bait look more attractive than the other guys? Well, that all comes from jigging and tugging, casting and reeling. If racing is rubbing, fishing is making that bait look like the most tasty morsel in the Gulf of Mexico in the eyes of a hungry trout or redfish. And old Jay will tell you there's different kinds of bites. He usually refers to trout as she, as in, boy, she really hit that one on the dropper. Man, she blew that thing up. So there's a soft bite, and that's when they aren't hungry, but kind of hungry, looking for a snack. It's like going to a party and kind of eating the hors d'oeuvres. And then there's a strong bite. That's an early morning strike, after a night, and they are up and having breakfast. And then there's a nudge. They aren't hungry, but they'll play with it out of boredom. Why am I telling you all this? Because that's what makes fishing so fun and different from catching. You have to be ready for all the conditions. Rain or shine, wind or no wind, muddy water or clear water, hungry fish or not so hungry fish. My old friend Gordon says, do you throw chartreuse or bubble gum plastics, root beer or spoons? It's absolutely an exciting sport as there is, and I'm getting excited just thinking about it.
and I haven't begun to talk about redfish. These monsters are all bulked. There's no soft bite with reds. They'll take your bait and run like they stole something. These monsters love to tear line. They will put up a fight, and they are fun to see their tails in the water with that big old black dot. Redfish are linemen, and trout are like wide receivers. They cut and jibe, and they come out of the water like a receiver going up for a catch. But as you can tell, I've talked more about the exercise than I have the catching. That's because fishing isn't about catching. It's about being on the water with friends and family, enjoying God's unbelievable majesty, and watching the sun come up and go down one more time. Most of the fishing stories I know don't start with how big the fish was. It starts with how much fun we had, the boat breaking down, running out of beer, or getting sunburned. Years ago, I was invited multiple times by my dear friend Todd Johnson to fish in his family tournament called Lanyap. Lanyap was one of the most fun weekends I've ever had. The camaraderie, the food, the fun, and of course the fishing. It was always held in June, so the trick was to get out early and get in early because you'd be surprised how hot a Texas sun in June can wear you out. And Lanyap was the invitation you wanted. The Johnson family has been involved in Texas hunting and fishing for five generations. I was never sure how I got on the list, but for me, it was like being invited to Augusta to play in the Masters. Everything was first class, almost elegant. At sign-in time, you got a bag of goodies, the food was always great, and the booze was always flowing. I once told my family, if someone dies while I'm at Lanyap, put them on ice and I'll get home as soon as I can. But don't you dare call and tell me while I'm in Port O'Connor fishing at the Lanyap tournament. And that's what I've learned over the years. You'll meet the nicest people fishing. I don't know any true anglers who are meat fishermen. Trips aren't judged by what's in the igloo, but what memories are created in your heart and in your head. I've raised a couple of great anglers. Both of my kids are accomplished outdoorsmen. And I married a great one, too. My wife, Laurel, is one of the greatest saltwater fishermen you'll ever see. She's patient, exacting, athletic, competitive, and, of course, a great sportsman. I'm very blessed that those closest to me enjoy my passion as well. There's another great sport fish in the Gulf, and it's called a tarpon, the silver king of the Gulf Coast. I want to end with two tarpon stories. As I said, tarpon are called the silver king. They are fun to watch and even more fun to catch but they're hard to catch. The first story is about my old friend Jay Watkins. Jay was taking out a group from Houston for a bachelor party. As they put in at 6 a.m., the groom said, Jay, we have to be off the water by noon. The wedding rehearsal starts in Houston at 6 p.m., and that's a three-hour drive. I don't want to cut it close. And Jay said, okay. As the hours wore on, they continued to catch fish, and it was about 11.30, and Jay told the group, pick them up, boys. We have a 30-minute ride back to the dock, and we've got to clean those fish. One more cast, yelled the groom. As his plastic bait hit the water, it was swallowed by what looked like a leviathan coming out of the water. He had hooked a tarpon. Now, tarpon don't ordinarily hit that type of bait or that type of plastic. There's a special tarpon bait used and, of course, a special hook due to their size. These are big fish. So, for the next two hours, the groom fought that fish. It was so powerful, Jay was having to drive the boat backwards to stay up with the angler. Jay said several times, We gotta go. Do you want me to cut the line? Hell no, yelled the groom. And after a three-hour battle, 
in another 30 minutes from the dock and several beautiful shots of the tarpon flying in the air, the line busted. Everyone was disappointed but thrilled to have seen such a beautiful sight and a tremendous fight. Jay raced the party back to the dock and said, Y'all go on. I'll give you the fish the next time you're here. So the bachelor and his party raced back to Houston, only to find a very mad bride-to-be who immediately called off the wedding. Years later, Jay asked the erstwhile groom if it was worth it. He smiled and Jay had said, Why would I marry a woman who didn't know the difference between a fish and the catch of a lifetime? And that's what fishing's all about. Finally, on Mother's Day this year, we fished with our dear friend Mike LaRue. He and I fished together for over 15 years. Mike is one of the greatest fishing guides of all time and primarily based in the Galveston Bay Area. Mike helped my son hook up a beautiful 90-pound tarpon almost exactly one year ago today. In fact, Mike holds the record tarpon for Texas, a 229-pound Silver King he caught with his own son. Now, it tells you something about my wife that she wanted to go fishing on Mother's Day, and we took our friends Ed and Ann Deary. They're not seasoned fisher people, but they're excellent sports. As we pulled out from the dock, within minutes of our first cast, Ed hooked a flounder, and Ann had a trout. I don't remember what either of those fish looked like or how much they weighed, but I do remember the smile on their faces. Just like I remember the smile on my son's face when Mike LaRue guided my son to his first tarpon catch. That day we talked about family and friends, the stock market and our kids. We talked about the election and, of course, COVID-19. Mike was as fit as you can be. He fished 250 days a year and was in excellent health. He worried about COVID because he had a brand new grandbaby and a daughter-in-law who had a lung condition that made her particularly susceptible to a disease like the flu or COVID-19. And like all things in life, Mike was cautious and prudent. I tell you that story because it was the last day I saw Mike alive. Sadly, Mike and his wife and their son all got COVID. His wife and son recovered quickly, but in an odd and horrific twist of fate, Mike was hospitalized and had to be placed on a ventilator. With a loving family, he fought the good fight for over 40 days, but in the end, the good Lord took him to the greatest fishing hole in the universe. God brought him home to heaven. On the day we said goodbye to Mike, it was a cool, beautiful day, just enough wind to ripple the water and not a cloud in the sky. It's what naval aviators call CAVU, C-A-V-U, ceiling and visibility unrestricted. In other words, you could see as far as the eye could see. That's the kind of day I would have liked to fish with my old friend Mike. So with a tear in my eye and a smile on my face, I said goodbye. Friends, I told you a lot more about fishing than you probably wanted to know. But doggone it, I love saltwater fishing. And if Mike's passing is any reminder, it's a reminder that yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, and today is a gift of God, which is why we call it the present. I hope you'll take a friend or a loved one, get out on the water, and enjoy that gift. I'm Jeb Bashaw, and this is my podcast, A Texan's View of the World. Mm-hmm.